Please remain standing for our scripture lesson. We are uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So here is the beginning of chapter 3 here, the first three verses. He says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendations, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Amen, dear saints. You may, you may be seated. You know, today, after a one-week hiatus where you so graciously welcomed my young friend Ethan Brown into the pulpit and your embraces in your ministry last Lord's Day, we're returning to our exciting series in 2 Corinthians. And we're in chapter 3 now, having traversed the first two over something like eight or nine sermons. But before we do this one, let's go to the Lord again in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for the fact that you do send us letters from Christ every Sunday into your pulpits, to your church, and that Jesus is the message, Father, the word of God. We thank you that then you write your word on our hearts and we become letters of and from Christ ourselves to the world. Now grant that we would understand these words and apply them well, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the English word letter, or its cognates, or its related concepts, is found an astonishing seven times, by my accounting, in the three verses of our scripture lesson for today. Now, in two of these cases, we would see letters referenced that would theoretically be written by human Christian churchmen, Christian people themselves. We see that in verse 1. And in verses 2 and 3, we see five potential references to letters being written by the triune God himself, particularly the second and third persons of the Holy Trinity, the Son and the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot in here about letter writing. Some of you are probably great letter writers, and you probably miss the old days of actually using pen and paper and ink and sending them off into the post office, and now you can't afford to do it. And if you do, it might not get there for three weeks. But anyway, hope we don't have any postmen here. Uh, basically, we do it by email and other ways, but still, communication is extremely key and important. Now, biblically speaking, letters or epistles are extremely significant and critical. In fact, much of the New Testament is actually comprised of missives of letters, Paul's many letters, also Peter, Jude, James, Hebrews. There are all these letters that God has sent to us. And so the Holy Scripture, even in the Old Testament, like we read today, Elder Craig from the book of Nehemiah, referencing a letter that was given to Nehemiah so he could go to Jerusalem in safety, letters are significant. Also, we might mention the aforementioned painful letter that we don't have extant or in our presence that Paul had written between 1st and 2nd Corinthians that he has already referenced and will again in this letter of 2nd Corinthians. So letters were key in the ministry and they still are. 
Now, I think we can view the Holy Scripture as a love letter coming down to us in the church, to us, that he sends, his, uh, sends us his love messages through Jesus Christ himself, who is the crowning jewel of the Holy Scripture. He is the one mediator between us sinful human beings and the Holy God, 1 Timothy 2.5. So, as grateful recipients of these letters from Christ... Let us make it our gospel goal this Resurrection Day to be very legible, or in other words, readable, understandable, clear letters from Christ as God's church. That's our goal. And we're going to do that out of first, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. If you're newer, you'd like to start and use the outline, this is where we do so. The title is Letters from Christ, The Doctrine. Letters from Christ document his person, the gospel, and the love of God to the fallen world. Now today, in today's scripture lesson, these letters from Christ are the elect and redeemed human members of God's holy church. And it's both interesting and marvelously encouraging to us that the documentation of God's very best graces to us all in Christ, are written not just on paper or on stone tablets, but on our hearts themselves by the blessed Holy Spirit. That's a marvelous thing. Therefore, let us learn now why these sweet dynamics surround why and how letters from Christ document his person, the gospel, and the love of God to the fallen world. First, the church's sinner saints are imprinted upon by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are several ways that we may understand this, and all of them are thoroughly biblical. I'm going to share them with you. First of all is simply regeneration, where the powerful, sovereign Holy Spirit comes upon a dead, lost, rebellious sinner and applies the atoning graces of Jesus Christ to that heart, bringing that heart from being dead and lost and rebellious into being alive and willing and Compliant, A life of love for God then comes. This is regeneration. This is instantaneous. And it brings with us, to us, justification, sanctification, glorification, adoption, and all the glories of the new covenant that we just read about somewhat in Jeremiah 31 earlier. So regeneration is certainly in, in view here. Another one closely related would be spirit and water baptism. Now, spirit baptism is regeneration. They are synonymous. And water baptism is a sign and seal of God's covenant of grace to us, whether that sacrament that God gives his church is administered to a soul before, as in an elect infant, or after, as in one who then later is regenerated. So... Baptism is a sign and seal of regeneration, and it's a very beautiful thing. We actually got to celebrate it two weeks ago here in the church. Another way to look at this imprinting by the Holy Spirit would be the ancient promises of the New Covenant itself, which first appeared in the verbiage as such in Jeremiah chapter 31, aforementioned, And that is true even though the reality of it stretches all the way back to the Garden of Eden after the fall of man into sin, 
where in Genesis 3.15, the promise of the gospel, the seed of the woman, would crush Satan's head, that glorious proto-evangelium, the first, if you will, gospel message. So the new covenant is in view here as well. And then finally, I might add, with regard to the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 itself, a somewhat unique aspect or ramification of the Spirit in printing, and that has to do with God's confirming of his church's gospel ministry and the men he calls to be the church's ministers. So as you are a Christ-loving, though still struggling, sinner saint, who is faithful in God's church, faithful to the covenant, you need to know that the word of God, Jesus Christ, has been written on your heart by the blessed Holy Spirit in the grace of God, and you possess him as near as you possibly could. The church's sinner saints are imprinted upon by the Holy Spirit so that we communicate Jesus in every place. So for you who are in Christ truly, your heart, your face, your life, your being, your posture, your attitudes, the way you live, everything you do is used by your Father as a walking, talking billboard and phonograph to the whole world. You are proclaiming to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as per the verses we looked at two weeks ago out of chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, you also smell funny, not because you didn't take a bath or a shower, but because you have the aroma of Christ, which is life to life to the elect redeemed that are hearing your gospel words, and it is death to death to those who remain in their sins. So bottom line, as regenerated Christian churchmen, you become in a very real sense, in a practical way, God's letter, you do, God's communication, God's proclamation to the whole world of demons and angels and elect and reprobate human beings. That's what you become. Now what an honor that is. What a a tremendous privilege and responsibility that is. But we're reminded from verse 16b of chapter 2, that no one is sufficient for this. It's impossible for us to be in ourselves sufficient. So there's our doctrine. Let's do now some what we call exegesis or exposition or explication or explanation of the scripture itself. We're going to look at verses 1 to 3, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians, and comprehend together the purpose of letters from Christ. Now, why is correspondence between two parties necessary in the first place? Why is that? Because we relate to each other concepts, words, and in our context, doctrine, dogma, and theology, and particularly the logos, the word of God, Jesus Christ himself. So this is extremely key and important. And then through us, God also communicates to and with the world, especially that of rational beings, angels, and humans. So let us now come to better grasp the purpose of letters from Christ. First, to ensure ministerial credentials, C-R-E-D-E-N-T-I-A-L-S. That's proof of authenticity or that's a, a... a sign of reality, of sincerity, of truly being called. That's what we have in mind here. Let's look at verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, 
letters of recommendation to you or from you. Now, there's these letters of recommendation that Paul talks about here in chapter 3, verse 1, are certainly and obviously not all bad things, okay, by any means whatsoever. Our own Presbyterian form of church government, which is drawn out of the Old and New Testament, is itself one that very routinely operates on the principle of letters of recommendation. Uh, next Sunday, our brother Ryan has been invited to go to Hannah City to preach. Be in prayer for him. It's his first foray into the, into the pulpit, and it's an exciting thing. But they wouldn't call just anyone. They're calling someone that's connected to them. They're in the presbytery together. There's accountability. There is uh, oversight. There's jurisdiction. There is teaching. There's doctrine. There's cohesiveness of doctrine. Everyone agrees on the doctrine. The doctrine unites us in Christ Jesus. So they can feel comfortable calling a young man that they've never heard before because he has credentials. So credentialing is not a bad thing. For instance, would we ask anyone to fill our pulpit here? Would we degrade, for instance, a woman from her image of God and ask her to preach? No, that's impossible. No woman's ever preached a sermon in the history of the church. And the reason that's true is because it's impossible for that to happen. We wouldn't degrade a woman, ask her, would we ask a heretic, a blasphemer, a modernist, someone like that, to come and preach from behind the sacred desk of a holy, Catholic, and apostolic church called by God? Of course not. Credentialing is important. And you'll be making some very important decisions uh, along those lines before too long. But in this first one, I do think what Paul is especially referring to is that he is family with the Corinthian church. He is closely related to them. And in this situation of being family, who needs letters of recommendation? I mean, would we have to go to a family reunion and, and show evidence that, hey, here's a letter from mom that I really am, you know, the, the son, and let me in the door to have fun at the family reunion? No, we don't need that. And Paul's saying, we're family. I helped plant you, you church in Corinth. You know me. You know what we're about. We're in this together. So, had the Corinthians, however, done a bit better job of vetting the false apostles who came along and created so much trouble there and tried to degrade the Apostle Paul and make him look bad, set him in a bad light. Had they done a better job of that, they would have used letters of recommendation in a much better way by hearing from other churches in the Roman Empire in the mid-first century that existed at that time. And they would not have welcomed those people into their midst and their congregation. But certainly Paul didn't need one. Still, dears, be aware. Be careful to whom you listen. Don't listen to just anyone. Don't listen to anybody who gets on the radio and pre pretends to be a gospel proclaimer. You are not under their authority. 
You're under the authority of Christ in the context of a real covenant in the church of God. And those of you who are baptized and have taken those vows, you know how important that is. So the purpose of letters from Christ are to ensure ministerial credentials and to embolden ministerial callings, verse 2. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. So the Apostle Paul is holding the Corinthian congregation very dear and tenderly to himself here. He's welcoming them into his heart. Essentially, he is saying to them, your very existence as a church of Christ, as those who took my instruction and followed my lead, both encourage and reconfirm my calling as an apostle, a minister of the church, and a preacher of the gospel. Now, we might ask the question, did Paul absolutely have to have or require this kind of encouragement from the Corinthian congregation or any other? And I would say, no, not absolutely. He certainly knew from his own calling in Christ whether anybody ever listened to him, whether or not any churches ever got planted, whether or not anything ever happened in his ministry. He was called by God, by Jesus Christ himself. He knew that, but... It really encouraged him and blessed him and strengthened him and helped him in his ministry. Sometimes I am blessed to hear words like that from some of you. And you have probably no idea how beneficial those expressions often are to me. And then God uses you as he has encouraged you to talk to me for the benefit of all as you then, through me, hear this gospel grace of Jesus Christ. Now, according to this verse 2... The faith of the Corinthian Christians was reflected off of the heart of the Apostle Paul so that all the world could read of it. And that's precisely what we're doing even here today, reading, if you will, the gospel in this way. Now, you and I are in this whole thing together, and even your next pastor, Lord willing, will see and read of you as he hears reports of faith in and love for Christ from me. I'll be able to tell him the situation. This will be a great encouragement for him. The purpose of letters from Christ, to ensure ministerial credentials, embolden ministerial callings, and finally, to enhance ministerial confidence, verse 3. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Obvious reference back to the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31 passage, which Elder Craig read is called worship. Now, one of the reasons Paul could say what he does here in verse 3 about the Corinthians was because of the way that we read about in chapter 2, they put their faith into action by dealing with, in a proper way, the man who had sinned against God, the gospel, the apostle Paul, and the church, but whom now Paul was urging the Corinthians to re-receive into their embraces and their love, to bring him back into the full fellowship of the church, because he had repented, he was grieved over what happened. They did the right thing. And Paul is very pleased with them in this regard. Their living faith was evidence that they were indeed, quoting Paul here in verse 3a, a letter from Christ delivered by us. 
Now, had they not done that, would he be able to say that? Not in the same way he does here, for sure. And the grace that was taking part in them was the work of the Holy Spirit, as we see from these words that follow in verse 3, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. And finally, verse 3 ends in the glorification of God and the fullness of the new covenant gospel and church age with what Paul pens at the end of verse 3, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The supernatural faith of the Corinthians, as in your cases too, gave Paul and his other church gospel ministry comrades confidence, even as we're going to read about that, Lord willing, in the verses that follow, even Lord willing, next Sunday. So be encouraged, dear faithful, humble, yet still maturing church saints. Your Heavenly Father loves you and has perfectly given you his very best in Jesus Christ our Lord. So after the doctrine and the explanation, we do a little more application. And let's do that now. And learn together why letters from Christ are necessary in this world. So why is it that God insists on writing his word on human hearts? Why are stone tablets, though appreciated and though they had a place in the Old Covenant, not sufficient? Well, the answer is to be found in the incarnation of the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the God-man, who was inaugurating the full and glorious splendors of the New Covenant Church age. I think this is going to be a key to understanding the balance of chapter 3, which is an interesting chapter to be sure. And in this light, then, let us better comprehend why letters from Christ are necessary in this world. First, because the New Covenant is a living manuscript. Now, I don't want to imply by that that in the Old Covenant, in its own proper sense, as it looked ahead, wasn't also a living manuscript. But compared to the New Covenant, it's virtually dead, passe. The glories of the New Covenant are so much greater because of the incarnation of the Son of God who took on himself in humbling himself in his divinity. He took on humanity and became the God-man and is now forever the God-man, Jesus Christ, even now in heaven, in the flesh glorified, glorified there. So the new covenant, because it is fulfilled in the second person, the one who is both divine and human, is the eminently living covenant. Lots of times when we talk about the covenant and the work of the Holy Spirit, it has to do with degrees. So the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Covenant. People were saved by grace through faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would come. No one could ever be saved any other way. The Holy Spirit worked. But in the New Covenant, we have the full measure of it, the effulgence of it, the full flower of it, all the glories of it in the person of Jesus himself. And so we are on the better side of that. You can read about that at the end of Hebrews 11, that great chapter about the saints in the Old Covenant age. This is how you are to understand the differences between the Old and New Covenant and the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Same Spirit, same work, same regeneration, but now all not only is Israel and Judah being centered upon, but the whole world, the gospel, the church is everywhere in the world. 
2,000 years ago when these words were written, there was no church in Peoria County, dears, or in a lot of other places in the world. But there is now. This is how we understand the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, the new world, the new Sabbath day, Sunday. You are new creatures in Christ. You have the full measure of the grace of God. All the promises are yes and amen in Jesus, 2 Corinthians 1.20. They are all fulfilled in him for you who are in Christ Jesus, who now lives and reigns and intercedes for you, the church at the right hand of God the Father. And in this sense, even as the book of Hebrews repeats over and over, the old covenant really is rather passe and dead. It would be completely blasphemous for us to practice any of those old ceremonial laws that have been completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ, whether that's circumcision or sacrifices or temple worship. No, we're in the new covenant age. Ironically and interestingly, think about the animals, the millions, perhaps billions of animals that were sacrificed for decades and centuries under the Old Covenant, including bulls, calves, goats, lambs, and birds. All of them are dead, and none of them ever came back to life. But the one to whom they pointed, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ the Lord, yes, He died, He died for our sins, but He came back to life, and He is alive today at the Father's right hand. He is the King and Lord of His church and the entire universe. So sinful human persons who get regenerated via the Holy Spirit's sprinkling of the blood atonement of Christ then become themselves alive in Christ. That means you are alive in Christ. You have risen with Him. You're reigning with Him. You died with Him. You're identified with Him in your baptisms. You are members of His church, His body in Christ Jesus. What a blessing. Now the true church's saints walk around in this world broadcasting Jesus everywhere we go. You know, the last few days I've been thinking about it. There's no such thing as a social gospel. It just hit me, I think, yesterday. Somebody hear the gospel is social. There is no such thing as a social gospel. It doesn't exist. You go to call a new pastor, make sure he doesn't believe in a social gospel. The only gospel that exists is the proclaimed doctrinal gospel of Jesus Christ about historical effects and real things and activities and events. That changes the world. That makes the difference in the world. Nothing else does. That's a freebie, by the way. It's not even in the notes. So why letters from Christ are necessary in this world? Because the New Covenant is a living manuscript. And by the way, I must say this before we go to the next point. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, preach the gospel and when necessary use words. That's complete nonsense. There is no gospel that isn't proclaimed. That's the doctrinal gospel. That's what it's about. Means of grace, preaching, sacraments, prayer. Get yourself a pastor like that. That's what you need. That's what you want. 
Now, why letters from Christ are necessary in this world? Because the New Covenant is a living manuscript that gets applied by the Spirit to human hearts via the blood ink of the Son of God. Now, we just made this point, but what a glorious one it is. If you are alive in Christ today, do you know that the Holy Spirit has written Christ's name on your heart, inscribing it with the hand of the Father in the ink being the blood of Jesus Christ himself? What greater blessing could a fallen sinner ever receive in this world or the next? Baptism is a sign and seal of this atoning, legal, forensic work of the Holy Spirit. And all of you who are united to Christ by grace through faith have your souls inscribed upon by God, and you are marked out and owned by Him, signed and sealed in your baptisms. On top of this, interestingly, a verse out of Isaiah, chapter 49, 16a, says this, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Not only does the Spirit engrave Christ the word on your hearts, he has engraved you on the palms of his hands. What is our great privilege and responsibility in all this grace, mercy, and gospel wonder that we've looked at today out of just three verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 mean? It means that we are to believe this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this one true, wonderful, glorious word of God given to us, his church, the one and only one, the one who became man. We we read about it in the Nicene Creed. The God-man, the one who has it all for us, cleanses away our sin in his blood, resurrection procures our justification, Our new hearts are signed and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, letters from Christ are love letters indeed. Let us give God hearty praise for letters from Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do that. We give you hearty praise for letters from Christ. We thank you that you've made us letters from Christ. We don't deserve to be. We should be letters addressed to hell and damnation condemnation and we were in our our conceptions having inherited immediately upon them the fall of Adam the rebellion of Adam and yet in time and space for all who are in Christ Jesus elect unto God brought to him we have been transferred from the kingdom of death to life you have made us letters not of damnation but of life letters of Christ We thank you for this and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.